0: Hey, it's great to be back with you. In case you don't remember, I'm Jason Lee. Uh my Monday to Friday job, I teach over at Cedarville University, but this has been my great pleasure to be here several times as a guest preacher, and it's a, a, a sweet privilege to be back together even today. This, this week, as I was thinking about today together with you, was a thanksgiving. I'm thankful to the Lord for the great thing He has done among you over these last few months. It's been encouraging just to hear the regular testimony of how God is continuing to use you as a body who's magnifying and testifying. Christ. What a glorious thing. If you're a guest, hey, I'm glad you're here. This is an imperfect people worshiping a perfect Savior. This is a church that puts His Word and His worship first in what they're doing. So if you're looking for a place to to come and, and be here, come with whatever baggage you bring and bring it to the cross and let these people come around you and love His love for you. It's a sweet testimony of what God does for us. Today, we're going to look at the end of the book of John, the gospel of John, and we're going to see a message about a true testimony, the true testimony that all disciples are called to give and the scripture gives for us in these sweet and inspired words, the promises and commands of God to us, the true testimony about Jesus. You found your place there in John chapter 21. We're going to read verses 20 through 25 together. It says that Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will, that he remains until I come? What is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not going to die. Yet Jesus didn't say to him that he was not going to die, but he said, If it is my will that he remains until he, till I come, what is that to you? Verse 24 This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. And who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. What we're going to see in this text today is that we testify truly about God when we live sacrificially and when we share the scriptures. We testify truthfully about God when we live sacrificially and when we share the Scriptures. You see, we need to be clear about this. The disciple of Christ sacrifices everything. Now to get that, we need to back up a little bit into Dylan's text from last week. So we're going to look at verses 18 and 19 to make sure that we understand the context of the rest of the conversation that picks up in verse 20. So in 8 chapter uh, 21 there, verse 18, it says this, "Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, this is Jesus speaking to Peter. Remember the context of this. He's just restored Peter." to discipleship. Remember, Peter had walked away from Christ. He denied Christ three times. And Jesus, in an equal process of three times, reaffirms him as his disciples. And now this conversation, Jesus with Peter, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and he will carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, "Follow me." What a heavy call, the call to discipleship. Do you see it there? He he says that he's going to be stretched out. He's going to be carried. As we know from church history, Peter's ultimately going to be crucified upside down because of his testimony for Christ. And this is what the Scripture says here, that Jesus said those things to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And then after he had reminded him of that, told him of that death, it says, he said to him, follow me. You see, the call to discipleship is a call to, to witness for Christ. When, when Christ called you, he called you out of your sin and your brokenness, no matter if you're a religious person or an absolutely non-religious person. When you heard the gospel, and, and I don't mean just the words of it or maybe you heard it throughout your growing up years in a church or from believing parents, but, but I mean truly in your heart heard the gospel. Recognized your sin and cried out to Christ, a Christ who is big enough to save you from all of that sin and give you new life and new purpose. When he did that, he called you to come and follow him. It's the call that we call the call to discipleship. That call is a call to give witness to what He has done for you. And we've seen this. If you've been here for weeks and months, you've heard this over and over again in the stories in the Gospel of John, how those who are changed by Christ become witnesses for Christ. Whether they were blind from birth, whether they were by a pool and couldn't walk, whatever their story was, whatever their story was, maybe they were a woman who had had multiple relationships that were broken and filled with all sorts of desperate things. When they come to know Christ, they are called to be a witness for Him among their family, among their friends, among their villages, anywhere, and sometimes even in a moment of persecution when being called before others who are against you to give testimony. A call to discipleship is a call to witness for Christ. And as we see there in verse 19 with Peter, our witness is either through our death, remember the phrase, by what death he was to glorify God? Or through our life, living for him. Remember how he said, Follow me? You see, some around the world today are Christians, and their witness will ultimately lead to their death. Their call to discipleship was clear. That if they believed in Christ and committed themselves to following Him, their village, their family, their city would be at odds against them, even to the point of taking away their goods, risking their livelihood, putting them in prison, beating them, and some today in this very day will die because of the name of Christ. And yet they followed Him. Why? Because he's the Savior who can give true life. Some of us will be called to give testimony that leads to our death. But for many of us, the great call for us is not in our death, but in our life. Will we live for him, or as he said to Peter, follow me? Will your life be marked with a witness, not of your perfection, not of your religiosity? Not of your capabilities, but ultimately of your Savior. That's the testimony that we as disciples are called to give. Sometimes when we're called to give that kind of life and we're gathered around with other believers, we begin to notice that other people are called to other callings. Their life seems to be marked maybe by by blessing and ease, where ours seems to be marked by hard things. And, and that's actually the moment here that Peter's in. He's, he's, hear, he's heard this thing from Jesus about how he's going to be crucified, that he's going to be stretched out and killed. And, and then he, he glances over. <laughs> he glances over and sees this other disciple. And through the book of John, there's been a, a little bit of an interplay between Peter and John. Remember A few weeks ago when I was here, I I preached how they rushed to the tomb and and there's a story of the foot race and how John beats Peter there and then Peter rushes in and there's there's this sort of interplay between them. And now Peter looks over and he sees John because sometimes we're envious. But we should not be envious of other callings for God. We should not be envious when we see other people have different callings for God. But notice in verse 20 and 21, What Peter does. Peter turned and he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. And this is just a phrase that John has used throughout the gospel to describe himself at various points, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Not that he did not love others, but he has a a close relationship with John. And John's also being reminded here, not just that I'm closer than the other disciples, sort of nan-nanny-boo-boo type approach, but instead what he's saying is he's reminding himself he's a disciple Because Jesus has loved him. You see, every disciple who is with Christ is because Christ first loved us. The disciple whom Jesus loved. It was also the disciple who leaned back on Jesus at the supper. And if you want to go back into that story, that's the story of that last supper, what we call sometimes the Lord's Supper with his disciples. Verse 21. When Peter saw him, talking about John, He said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? (laughs) Now, I can appreciate Peter. I can identify with Peter. Okay, so remember, Peter's denied Jesus. And Jesus, out of his great love and mercy, has sought out Peter and has renewed him to discipleship with three charges and challenges, each one of them telling him to love his disciples and and follow him. And yet Peter, now being restored, begins to look around and says, yeah, but um, you're saying I'm going to go die, and what about John? I mean, he got that good place at the Lord's Supper, he kind of got to lean up against you, I was like two over, whatever, you know, I mean, whatever's going through his mind. Isn't it interesting how quick we forget the mercies of God? We've been restored, and now we're wondering, yeah, but I'm restored, but I'm in in, like three. I want to be in seat one or two. Uh, you know, man, not two, just one. And that's what Peter's doing. He says, hey, Lord, what about this man? This is not an idle curiosity. It's actually instead just an idol. He's concerned that he's being called to do something that John's not called to do. Does it sound familiar, believer? Oftentimes, we're going through something, and the season of suffering and the season of struggle seems to last longer for us than it does for others. I remember going through a season when one of my children, who's now an adult, when he or she was going through high school and first part of college, that was a rough time for our family. There was some rebellion, which they would admit to now. At that time, no admission whatsoever to that. Instead, it was just a constant fight and struggle. Then We were in church regularly. We were doing family devotions in our home, and my wife and I were praying for this child. And nothing seemed to change. And then we would see other families at church. And the way they interacted with their kids of that same age and the way they talked about their kids when we would talk to them, sometimes we looked. We looked and wondered, Lord, why are we going through this season when others have it easier? You see, if the Lord's calling leads us to a season of sacrifice for Him, we should not compare our situation to others. We shouldn't look longingly at a life of ease. Instead, we should look into our Savior who is helping us to endure through that season. Some of the moments over the last several years, over the last decade, that the Lord has been most precious to me, Has been a season of struggle and suffering. And in that calling to walk with Him through that, it is reminded to me over and over again that He walks with us through that season. Those lessons would not be as clear, they would not be as deep set in my heart if it weren't for those struggles. Jesus responds to Peter in a corrective but encouraging tone. You see it in verse 22? He says to Peter, uh, sorry, Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Peter, don't worry about my plan for others. Instead, follow me. Now, now, John adds a note here that because of what Jesus said there, that there was a, a rumor, uh, if you would, uh, hey, I, did I hear him say that John's not gonna die until he comes? And that's not the case. That's not what Jesus says. So John sets the record straight at the end of verse 23 when he says, if it is my will that he remains until I come, what is that to you? He, he repeats the quotation of Jesus. The point was really not something about John. Jesus' words here were not a promise about John. The words here were meant for Peter. So his mind would be reset on what is he being called to do? He was clear, you follow me. And this is the call of discipleship. This is the call to give testimony and witness. And it is from a life filled with sacrifices. Sometimes those sacrifices of of our finances. Sometimes it's the sacrifice of our time. Sometimes it's the sacrifice of a big moment in life where we decide we're going to divert here because to do that would be to follow Christ with reckless abandon. This is the call to discipleship. And oftentimes, the thing that causes us to pause is we begin to look around and say, I wonder who else is going to have to do this. So Jesus says, if it's my will that he remains until I come. What is that for you? You follow me. All calls to discipleship are calls to come and die. All calls to discipleship are calls to come and die. We live. We leave at the foot of the cross. Yes, Lord, I will come and die. And then it's up to Christ, it's up to our Lord to fill in the blank. Envy in the church body wreaks havoc on our unity. When we begin to look at others and see them to be more blessed or more favored by God, we've missed the point. That is, ultimately our own pride and unbelief speaking. God does not favor one disciple over another. Can I say it again? From the scripture, it is very clear he does not favor one disciple over another, though he does set them on individual journeys. His care for you and for me is the same as someone who seems to have a life of easier days. And by the way, just to make sure we're a clear Sometimes, when we judge someone else as having easier days, we don't know the whole story. John, not going to have any hard days. Peter's worried about John. You know, you know what happened to John later in life? John was in prison for years. Ultimately, he was exiled to an island, he was put in prison out on the island. Only late in his life, in his very late years, was he allowed to come back and be around other believers. Did John have an easy life? No, but Peter couldn't see that because all he could think about was Peter. You see, that envy wreaks havoc in a church. I want that position, I want that spotlight. Paul, by the way, talks about this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 25 through 27. This is how he describes the church, a gathering of disciples. This is what he says, that there being no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. You you hear the message? That when someone suffers, we all suffer with them. When someone is honored or something good happens for them, then we rejoice with them. Hey, you want to try it? I'm a big Alabama fan. And we won yesterday. Let's hear that rejoicing together. Okay, that's all right. That would have been strained and fake. I get it. We don't want that. We want genuine, genuine comments. And see, and I'm not doing it because when one suffers, I'm smiling. That's not good. But in all seriousness, what Paul says is this, that this is the nature of the body that you've been called to. You're called to disciples not to compare notes of life of ease and blessing but to walk life together in suffering and in rejoicing. If we do that, we can be members of the one body of Christ. You see, a unified view of the church body sees our sacrifices, the sacrifices we have, as for the sake of others and to the glory of God. So now I'm sacrificing, not woe is me, but I'm sacrificing so that you might be filled up and built up in God's purposes for your sake and to the glory of God who has sacrificed himself for all of our sakes. After Jesus gives this clear corrective and call to Peter to follow him, The last two verses of the gospel turns to this idea of a witness, now not in the lives of the disciples, but actually in the words of the Scriptures. The Scriptures are the true testimony to Jesus. You see it in verse 24 and 25, it says this, talking about John, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things. See, pause just for a moment. By the way, that's one of the reasons that John was allowed to live longer, so that he could write these words for us to read for our sake and to God's glory. This disciple is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And now there are also many other things that Jesus said where if every one of them were to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. What, what John here is doing, he's adding, and this a testimony now of a believing community, a body of disciples around him who not only is John saying, but all of those are echoing, his testimony is true. We were there, we heard it, we saw it, we were there when Jesus did it, and John has now given testimony, a written testimony, so that we might believe. You see, the disciples who heard Jesus' teachings And they watched his miracles. And they witnessed his sufferings. And they worshiped at his resurrection. They proclaimed him in the scriptures. You see, what we have is their witness about all of those things. So that we might know Jesus truthfully. And have life in his name. 1 Corinthians 15. Paul talks about this very thing. This is what he says. I deliver to you as the first important what I also received. I received from others, specifically Jesus, that Christ died for our sins in accordance to the scriptures. Hear that testimony of the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the 3rd day in accordance to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and to the twelve. And that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he also appeared to me. Many of those names and groups that, that Paul just mentioned are the same ones who later wrote the Scriptures, Of the 12, we have, of course, the testimony of Matthew and the gospel of Matthew and John and John. And then we also have the testimony of Peter and 1 Peter and 2 Peter. We have the testimony of James and the letters that he writes. And of course, the testimony of Paul and multiple letters. All of these scriptures are giving witness to the work of Christ so that we might know and that we might believe and so that we might have life in his name. In that verse 25 at John 21, he, he says, Not all the things have been written here. Jesus said and did many other things. J- John followed him for three years. He's like, man, everything, everything the dude did was amazing. He talked about something and there was wisdom in his words. He, he touched someone and their life was different from that point on. He was challenged by the religious leaders and he responded with wisdom and correction He was tested and tried, and he passed every test. What an amazing man. I could not, I could have filled the world with books about him. You see, that's our Savior. If we were to spend our days just over and over and over and again, talking about his glorious deeds while he was here on earth, it would take forever. And he's been active before and after. This is a glorious Savior who is acting and working. And so what John says is, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't put it all down. But instead, he does say that he wrote certain things for certain purposes. Every action and speech of Jesus is not recorded in the Scriptures. But his heavenly beginnings and his earthly ministry has this vast record. But then we see this that the uh, the, the testimony about Jesus in the Scriptures is true. It's true. It came at great cost to the authors. Oftentimes, when they wrote about the Scriptures, it was to their, not only the time that they spent, but the work they had to do to now get that message out, put them at risk. As far as tradition tells us, Every one of Jesus' first disciples, those 12, except for, of course, Judas, who was hanged, and John, who lived to that old age, even though he was exiled, all of the others died as martyrs for the testimony. Many of those are the ones who carried on that message. Some of them are the ones who wrote out the scriptures at great cost to them. But it is for our relationship with God so that we might know him and worship him. This is the way John said it in the previous chapter. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Listen to this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. Same thing he says in chapter 21. But here in verse 31, he says this. John 20. But these are written... So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see what John's saying? He says, I intentionally wrote these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and believing have life in his name. So what did John write? Well, in John chapter one, if you've been here as a church, you've you've heard these sermons. In John chapter one, he wrote that he's the word who became flesh for us, that he was the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. In John chapter two, he wrote that he is the one who made the temple and the house of God a place of worship and prayer. In John chapter 3, he wrote that religious leaders and religious people could be saved from their self-righteousness if they would simply believe and have everlasting life because they have faith in Christ. In John chapter 4, he said that those who've had their lives wrecked by their own sinful choices could be made new if they've become true worshipers in spirit and in truth. In John chapter 5, he wrote that the scriptures, the Old Testament prophets, spoke of Jesus, including Moses, spoke of Jesus as the Savior. In John chapter 6, he talked about how Jesus is the bread of heaven who came down so that if we would take of him, we could have everlasting life. In John chapter 7, He wrote that Jesus, if we will believe in him, will give us the spirit as a living water, a living fountain that gives us eternal life. In John chapter eight, he said that Jesus is the light of the world who shines into our darkness. In John chapter nine, it says he wrote that Jesus came as the one who gives life and sight to the blind, spiritually blind. John chapter 10, that Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for our soul. In John chapter 11, He's the resurrection and the life. In John chapter 12, he's the king who comes into Jerusalem to rule over the nations. Yet in John chapter 13, he's the humble servant who washes his disciples' feet. In John chapter 14, he's the way, the truth, and the life. And anyone who wants to come to the Father should come through Him. In John chapter 15, He's the true vine that if we're hidden in Him, we'll have life and it'll continue to give us life. In John chapter 16, He and the Son and the Father send the Spirit to guide us into truth, convict us of our sin, and to carry us into eternal life. In John chapter 17, He's the high priest who prays for us so that we might endure in our faith. John wrote in John chapter 18 that Jesus is the one who was betrayed and was denied and yet he suffered for us. In John chapter 19, he was the one who was on trial and he died for our sins. And John wrote in John chapter 20 that that one who died is also resurrected to eternal life. In John chapter 21, he wrote that He will restore those who have denied Him to relationship with Him. See, this is a true testimony. So John wrote it down so that we could believe and follow Christ. See, just like John does in his disciples, And his gospels. Disciples and believers are to share this true testimony of Christ by sharing the scriptures with others. Why does this church spend so much time in the gospel of John talking through these stories? We're not doing a history lesson here. We're holding out life for anyone who would come to him, believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, then you would have life in his name. So let me end with three clusters of questions this morning. What is your response when you are suffering through or even though you're walking with Christ? Is it envy of others who seem to have an easier way? Is it bitterness that God has allowed you to linger so long in this suffering and struggle? Is it fearful silence Has God abandoned me? Does God want of me? Secondly, are you looking to bail on God because discipleship's gotten hard for you? You you, you remember how how Peter, when it got hard, he was denying Christ? And Peter, even in this moment, he's asking, wait a minute, I'm gonna have to die and John's gonna have an easier life. Wait a minute, Lord, what about... What is this? Are you going to bail because discipleship's gotten hard for you? Or can you use your sacrificial suffering as a testimony to God's truthfulness and His steadfast love? Last night I was talking to my 13-year-old son, and he's going through a little bit of a hard thing. And so we were talking about it, and we were talking about verses together together. And I had given him some verses about just by his bed that he could just pull out. I said, hey, and at night when you're kind of laying there and that stuff starts running through your mind and that darkness is there, just grab one of those cards and read it. And I said, let's do that now. And he pulls one up and it says, The Lord, will bless the Lord. Why? Your steadfast love endures forever. Sacrificial suffering is a testimony to his steadfast love that endures forever. And finally, will you believe the witness of the Scriptures and trust in Jesus, the Son of God? Hey, hey, we could talk about a lot of things here this morning, but I want to give you the kernel, the core truth for your life. And that is this, whatever your past, there's a Savior. Savior. If your your past is filled with self-righteousness and religious deeds, hey, great, that's fine. It may get you some credit with some friends, but let me just tell you this. Christ wants you to repent and fall at his feet for salvation. If your past is filled with all sorts of baggage and broken relationships, and you've been filled with self, hey, today is a day to come and die to self and find life in Christ. Christ. This is the true testimony of the Scriptures. But let me tell you, let me be real clear, the call to come and find life in Christ is a call to discipleship, which I said earlier, is a call to come and die. If today you'd want to give your life to Christ, as, a, as we're moving toward a Christmas season where we celebrate the fact that He came so that we could have life, this could be that day of salvation for you. There are other believers seated next to you. There's pastors and others that are be out in the Welcome Center that would love to talk more with you about life in Christ if you'd like to trust the testimony of the Scriptures. Would you bow with me? Lord, we've heard your word, the testimony, the true testimony of the Scriptures, that if we would have faith in you and believe that you would give us life, in Jesus. Lord, there's some in this room who right now are wondering if they could dare to believe this true testimony about Christ. Lord, by your Spirit, would you call them so that they too might have living water, eternal life, abundant life in Christ. For the believer this morning who's been looking around and wondering why their suffering's lasting so long and envy and worry and bitterness. Lord, would you by your great love, steadfast love, just comfort their heart this morning? Not so that they would deny their suffering or struggle, but they would recognize your love in the midst of it. Lord, this is our hope. And our hope is bound up in Christ. So we pray in his name. Amen. Amen.